the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And thank you so much for Jordan and Peter Kersenow on Back to Back. And that is what this day is all about. Peter Kersenow joining us now as we begin hour number two at 10 minutes after the hour, 10 o'clock. It's a Tuesday, the third morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord 2019. Peter Kersenow, how many days till opening to, uh, till our spring training? Peter Kersenow, can you hear me? Peter, can Hello? you? Oh, no, yeah, sorry, sorry, me? Pete. Got you now. Yeah, I had a glitch. We yeah, got you. It's, it's 83, just 83 days till spring training, 115 till the first game. And, you know, I haven't done a countdown toward the um, uh, college football championship. I think it's fairly probable Ohio State gets there. Who they play, I'm not sure. It's probably going to be LSU, Clemson, Georgia, one of those three. I think they can defeat all three of them, although the one that gives me the most heartburn is not LSU with Joe Burrow, who may be the best quarterback in the country, but uh, Clemson. Clemson bothers me. They had a little hiccup early in the season, but they have been on a roll since then, and I think that they probably present the most formidable challenge. All right, now the real question is, how many days until the Browns will beat the Steelers in Pittsburgh? <laughs> it's only been 16 I, years. I need a calculator. I need a calculator. <laughs> All right, Pete, let's dive into the real news here of the day. And I always appreciate you coming on. Uh, so we're going to go uh, kind of uh, a bit of a departure from our normal discussion of the actual topical news of the day. And I want to talk to you about the 1619 Project. Now, this is uh, a New York magazine has, has uh, come out with something called the 1619 Project, which aims to essentially reframe American history 
through the lens of slavery. It talks about the real founding of the United States of America being 1619 when the first slaves uh, arrived, and um, uh, and then this country was built from that point forward. Now, this is actually being grasped and uh, presented and taught to students at public schools. This New York Times presentation, as if it is 100% historically accurate, that it has been verified by historians, when the truth of the matter is that a lot of top historians, as I shared with you in the uh, Daily Caller article, have said this is this is wrong, uh, and they cannot be doing this to kids. So uh, I want you to speak to this uh, from your own perspective, your knowledge of it, and of course your knowledge of history, and also your status as a minority. Uh, you know, kind of kind of carries some weight here as well. So Peter, take that. Yeah, um, well, thanks for framing it that way, and that's what the New York Times is doing. They say they are reframing history here, and always be suspicious when someone starts to reframe history, especially when they're reframing it in a country where, you know, it hasn't been a totalitarian country where the history has been shaped by those who want to make sure that they project what the future is going to be also. And as you mentioned, Bob, you had some of the top historians in the country who, many of whom are liberal, who've expressed serious concern about this framing, at least as far as it's gone thus far. And they have pretty much said that it is propaganda also, and slanted in a way, in fact, one of those historians, as I recall, said that when he read it, um, he was very disturbed by how unbalanced it was. And this was a man of the left. Um, there were historians like Gordon Wood, maybe the premier historian in the United States right now, and you had James McPherson and James Oakes and a lot of other folks who said, whoa, uh, we weren't consulted. Um, you would think that the New York Times would go to the top historians around, those who have spent their entire lives looking at these things in order to get the history correct, uh, but they didn't. Instead, they invested the authority in a journalist who, you know, look, uh, I don't know much about this person, but to the little bit I've been able to research indicates that, you know, she is your typical New York Times reporter yeah. who views America from a very toxic and hostile perspective. But consider, Bob, here we are 154 years after the abolition of slavery, and all of a sudden now the New York Times decides it's time to quote-unquote reframe history. You should be very, very suspicious of that happening. And in going through the the articles related to this, because when it first came out, I was very concerned about this. I had a feeling they were going to be, quote-unquote, reframing the history to serve a liberal narrative because the New York Times is doing it. Why would they do it now, 154 years later, unless that was what the purpose of this was? And uh, I saw an article where someone had actually done an analysis of New York Times articles uh, over the last 40 years. And what they found was that for the last 35 years or so, New York Times mentioned something related to slavery on average about 190 times per year. In other words, maybe about every other day there'd be something somewhere in the mass of New York Times related to it. But in 2016, all of a sudden it went from 190. Now think about this. We're getting further and further away from slavery. And for 30 years, they're mentioning about 190 times uh, per year. And then all of a sudden in 2016, it spikes from 180 to about 800. In fact, in 2018, 805 mentions of slavery were in the New York Times. 
And you ask yourself, why? Well, what happened in 2016? Well, we had the grand big orange man, the great wizard of the KKK, apparently, the greatest racist in the history of the world was elected. And all of a sudden, we start talking about slavery at a rate four times greater than they had before. And that's persisted during the uh, Trump administration. But I, I think, Bob, again, having been on the Civil Rights Commission for going on 20 years now, it's 18 years so far, you see certain things. And of course, we study these types of issues. Uh, so I have a fair grasp of what's going on in terms of the history of this. I'm not a babe in the woods with, with respect to this. I've done my share of, of, uh, of investigation, of examination, of research related to this. And what we are undergoing right now is frankly, propaganda. What we saw in the 1950s and the 1960s, maybe even before that, was an attempt by communists to influence what we read, influence what we taught in the schools, to try to shape a particular narrative, and also to undermine our democracy. And those who said we needed to watch out for this kind of stuff were deemed conspiracy theorists. What's interesting about that is that for the last 35 to 40 years, the same phenomenon, the same dynamic is at play where it's almost like termites eating away at the foundation of our educational institutions, trying to change the narrative to suit a liberal or progressive agenda in, in a radical one. The idea is to undermine the United States and make it illegitimate from the standpoint of, well, you know, we've, we, we committed genocide toward the indigenous population here. There was really, you know, no good reason for uh, Europeans to come here and that slavery dominated the landscape. And that was the real reason why we even had a constitution. The Electoral College was designed to make sure that uh, we maintained a racist uh, government. All of these things, Bob, are completely and utterly false, and we don't have enough people saying that. We've got legions of people, and they infest, and I use that word advisedly, many of our educational institutions, and the overall objective here does sound almost like a conspiracy theory, but, the, but it's to delegitimize what all of us consider to be the greatest country in the history of the world, because they wouldn't be able to affect the types of changes that they prefer to see, an illiberal type of agenda, if we didn't think the United States of America was the greatest nation in the history of the world. So they've got to undermine the foundations of the founding of our entire history, make it seem as if America is illegitimate so they can continue to change the America to suit their wishes. This is this is bad and, news. And, and in the and process is, of trying to change, Peter, I apologize for interrupting, but I'm going to get a break here. In the process of changing that, they have to change attitudes and minds, and that starts with teaching the next generations yeah. that, yes, America is that evil, racist origin country that has kept that, uh, that attitude ever since. And that's why this is such a concern. It's not just that the New York Times wrote this, but that they are teaching it in schools. Uh, I want to come back, Pete, on the other side of this time out and ask you this question. Is the peace itself racist black to white racism i'll explain my question and get your answer as we continue on am 1420 the answer
All right, 1022 as we continue, AM 1420, The Answer with Peter Kirsten. I've only got a few good minutes left with Pete as he has done at 1030 today. So, Peter, uh, I want to dive back into this. And uh, the question that I asked you a moment ago, is the New York Times racist just in the publication of this piece? And I ask it for this reason, the 1619 Project, for those who do not know. Uh, uh, they in an, uh, a follow-up article in an editorial explaining, quote, how the 1619 Project came together, they note that almost every contributor in the magazine and special section, writers, photographers, artists, is black, a non-negotiable aspect of the project that helps underscore its thesis, Ms. Hannah Jones said. The magazine recruited talents, and it lists some people here, uh, uh, to to essentially provide the view uh, from the black perspective. What I want to know is, how can history be viewed from only one perspective? And is it not racist to suggest that a white person, a white journalist, a white photographer, or just a, a non-black, you know, it doesn't have to be white, but a non-black uh, journalist or contributor here um, is is uh, incapable of seeing history in, in an accurate way? It sounds to me like they had a specific agenda here, which makes this history absolutely non-historical. Well, that's a good summary, Bob. It's unquestionably racist. I mean, they've chosen people based on the color of their skin. That's the definition of racism. And what we see with respect to this project and so much of the, so much of what the left has been doing over the last 40 years is they have taken upon themselves to define what is racist and what is not. And unfortunately, too many of us have ceded that authority to them. And almost invariably, when the left accuses someone of racism, they're the ones who are actually engaged in racism. It's, it's um, a toxic and very pernicious approach to our culture, our educational system, our society in general. Um, it's also just dumb, dumb on steroids, as if only black people have a perspective when it comes to this. Only black people could do the examination and research. Look, the, the folks who have written the most about this, three of them happen to be white, are, are the guys who probably know more about this than anybody else. Black people aren't the sole repository of what uh, the, you know, the knowledge of slavery or the information related to slavery. That, that's just, it's just stupid on steroids, and it should be offensive to everybody, but it also telegraphs very clearly what the agenda here is. The agenda here is to promote a perspective that undermines the United States of America, or the perception of the United States of America as the greatest country in the history of the world. And we've seen that throughout whatever the left does, whatever project they engage in, they're trying to undermine the United States of America so that they will have the legitimacy to change the United States of America, because otherwise... No one would give them any credence whatsoever. They've got to have a reason for doing so. So racism has been for decades and decades the principal reason. A lot of other movements piggyback off of that because of the success, uh, and legitimately so, that you know trying to combat racism has had. But they try to piggyback their you know, pet projects and um, uh, theories onto an anti-racist agenda. So here simply by saying that we're going after slavery, it somehow confers some type of legitimacy. But you're right, Bob, only to have one perspective and to do so in a way that strikes at America's founding as somehow being illegitimate. There's a political agenda involved here. 
and it's been going on in our educational establishment for quite some time, and it needs to be stopped at every turn. I think that those of us who have studied history have a duty to make sure every chance we get, we may not have the megaphone of the New York Times, but you've got a megaphone, Bob, every time that we go out into public, anytime any of these things come up, I think your listeners would be... You know, I, I don't know if any listeners <laughs> this is, I feel comfortable doing this kind of stuff, but every time we're confronted by this, we have a duty, I think, to correct the record because the left and the cultural institutions dominate the debate. They've got the big megaphone out there, and they're doing considerable damage to the United States of America. Considering that we're not teaching a whole lot in our schools today anyway, we should at least get certain things correct. Also, put things into perspective. Yes, slavery is a great stain upon the United States of America. It can't be, you know, understated. But it shouldn't be also overstated for propaganda reasons. Slavery is not unique to the United States of America. What's so remarkable about this is we seem to be talking about slavery only from the perspective of the evil founding of the United States of America. Virtually every country has had slaves, and in fact, the United States had a shorter history of slavery and a more limited history of slavery, not to excuse it, but it's the other side that is distorting and lying about it to make it seem as if Everything there was about the United States, from its economy to its philosophy, was grounded in slavery. Of the 11 million slaves, that's a lot, that were brought across the Atlantic to North America, only about 400,000 ended up in the United States of America, or became the United States of America, out of 11 million. Most of them went to South America or to Cuba or to the Caribbean, and on top of that, there were slaves here already, despite the fact that there's this hagiography developed around, you know, the, the noble uh, Native American. And most Native Americans were noble. There's no doubt about that. But the fact of the matter is, it's not as if slavery was unknown in North America before the arrival of Europeans. Accurate history needs to be taught. The Mayans, the Incans, everybody had slaves. It, it's just an extraordinary a proposition to say that somehow the United States of America uniquely pr- uh, promoted or created the institution of slavery, which is the greatest falsehood in history, and that's what the New York Times is up to. They're trying to promote a false narrative necessary to push back. By the way, Bob, there's still slavery going on in Northern Africa and in the Middle East. Nobody yeah. ever talks about that. Nobody ever talks about that at all. And the predominant slave trade during the 1600s, 1700s, and even into the 1800s. By the way, as you know, barely 20 years after the revolution, slavery or the the transmission of slaves to, to the United States was outlawed, but not the case with respect to much of the Middle East. You had most of the slaves trafficked out of Africa went eastward, not westward, went to Middle Eastern countries, not to North America. But that's not what the New York Times is interested in. They want to show a distorted perspective for a political agenda. If they got it right, I mean, if they got it right, I would have no problem with it. Although with the New York Times, I'd be very suspicious that again, 154 years after abolition, now they've got to reframe history. But that's not what they're up to. They're not about trying to get it right. They're about trying to promote agenda. And we should counteract it every single chance we get because young people are being taught very poorly. And they're being taught to, frankly, hate the United States of America, so that the left will have legitimacy in convincing people to change the United States of America to their liking in a way that we're going to regret. 
Peter Kersenow, great, great analysis, my friend. I wish we had more time. We could go another half hour or beyond, especially talking about the importance and the influence of teaching this to kids and what this is going to do to skew and to further the division, quite frankly, between races going forward, which seems to be the New York Times and the left's overall agenda. Peter Kersenow, thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Bob. 1031, guess what? Peter is done, and that means we are guest-free the rest of the way. You want to get in? It's time to get in. 216-901-0945, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. with Peter Kersenow about the 1619 Project, the New York Times creation they worked on since January. It's literally, it was about a year in the making, or a little less. And um, it is intended to do exactly that, rewrite American history, rewriting it through the perspective of only African Americans as it pertains to uh, the 1619 arrival of the first slaves coming to the 13 colonies. Um, in 1619. And uh, there's nothing wrong with studying history. There's nothing wrong with being critical of history. There's nothing wrong with looking at it uh, through a different lens. But to look at it through only one lens and to essentially change facts that have already been long held and long understood, that's a different story. Now we get away from history and we start getting into fiction writing, and that's a big problem, especially if it's being taught to students in schools in New York and elsewhere. Uh, as uh, factual history. So great conversation with Peter Kersenow there. We'll probably pick that up on another time because there's a lot more meat left on that bone. Uh, thanks also to Jim Jordan who joined us in the first half, or excuse me, first hour of the program, which is where I want to go back to now. You heard in our newscast just a few minutes ago that the uh, Adam Schiff report, the Schiff show, is going to be uh, released today. This is uh, what the Intelligence Committee chairman and his group feel like has been the um, results of their quote-unquote investigation. It's hilarious that we have to use these words truthfully. Uh, you know, the, the investigation of allegations of uh, treasonous acts or impeachable acts by the President of the United States, this was not an investigation. Uh, this was just a flat-out coup d'etat. It really was. It's a soft coup to remove a president from power. They decided he was guilty long before a phone call to Ukraine was ever made. They just had to find something to make him guilty of. And they said, okay, let's try this. Uh, we found him guilty, uh, and the Russia thing didn't stick after two years of investigation and some $30 million. So let's try the Ukraine thing. Let's make this stick. And this isn't going to stick either. Uh, they're going to go ahead and introduce articles of impeachment in the Judiciary uh, Committee. Make no mistake about that. And they're going to vote on it. And it's going to be passed and on a purely partisan vote, which is what Nancy Pelosi said she would never be a part of as Speaker of the House. She would never preside over an impeachment of a president on a purely partisan basis. And yet here we sit. That is what will be passed into or over to the Senate for a trial. And then you hear liberal Democrats complaining that the trial 
is going to last too long. And it's going to force senators who are part of that trial, uh, but who are also uh supposed to be campaigning for president to abandon their campaigns to be in the Senate trial. And then that's going to give an advantage to the non-senators like Pete Buttigieg uh, out there in the, uh, and Mike Bloomberg and others out there on the campaign trail. So they're complaining about the process of impeachment, yet they are the ones solely behind the process of impeachment, and none of it is valid. Now, back to the Jordan part of all of this. Uh, the Republicans on the House Intelligence, Oversight, and Foreign Affairs Committees have released their report of evidence in the Democrats' impeachment inquiry in advance just to get out in front of today's Schiff Show report. Adam Schiff's report will come out uh, maybe later this morning, maybe before we're off the air even. So last night, the Republicans released their preliminary report. Actually, it's not preliminary, but it's their final report of what has gone on thus far, and they did so in, adv- in advance of the uh, Democrats. Today, the House Intelligence Committee, Oversight and Reform Committee, and the Foreign Affairs Committee released a Republican report evaluating the evidence. This is important. I want you to really, truly listen to this. Okay, Don't let this go in one ear and out the other. Because all of the evidence that you're going to hear, and, and I use that word loosely in the shift show, um, is 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 completely and wholly manufactured from speculation, presumption, and assumption, as well as hearsay. What I'm about to share with you is exactly the opposite of that, factual information. And I want you to listen to it carefully. So this is the report evaluating the evidence presented by the Democrats' impeachment inquiry. Despite the abusive and fundamentally unfair process in the Democrats' impeachment inquiry, The evidence does not prove the Democrats' allegations that President Trump abused his authority to pressure Ukraine to investigate his potential political rival, Vice President Joe Biden, for President Trump's benefit in the 2020 presidential election. Here are a few select excerpts from the report. The Democrats' impeachment inquiry is not the organic outgrowth of serious misconduct. It is an orchestrated campaign to upend our political system. The Democrats are trying to impeach a duly elected president based on the accusations and assumptions of unelected bureaucrats who disagreed with the president's policy initiatives and processes. The Democrats, nevertheless, told uh, a story of an illicit pressure campaign run by President Trump through his personal attorney, Mayor Giuliani, to coerce Ukraine to investigate the president's political rival by withholding a meeting and security assistance. There is, however, no direct first-hand evidence of any such scheme. The Democrats are alleging guilt on the basis of hearsay, presumptions, and speculation, all of which are reflected in the anonymous whistleblower's complaint that sparked this inquiry. Speaker Pelosi, and this is again, these are select excerpts from the 128, I got to double check the number of pages that the Republicans released uh, in advance of the uh, Schiff Show report today. Uh, so this is from the House Intelligence Oversight and Foreign Affairs Republicans. Uh, the fourth or third select uh, excerpt, Speaker Pelosi, Chairman Schiff, and House Democrats seek to impeach President Trump not because they have proof of a high crime or a misdemeanor, but because they disagreed with the President's actions and his policies. But in our system of government, the President is accountable to the American people. 
the accountability to the American people comes at the ballot box, not at in-house Democrats' star chamber. And now a few key findings from the report to kind of really give you an advance heads up uh, so you know a lie when you hear a lie when the Democrats repeat uh, release their report later today. Democrats allege that President Trump pressured Ukraine to initiate investigations into his political rival, former Vice President Biden, for the purpose of benefiting the president in the 2020 U.S. presidential election. The evidence undercuts that allegation. The findings outlined below are based on the totality of the evidence gathered and the testimony received. One, President Trump, I told Jim Jordan this because it was important, President Trump has a deep-seated, genuine, and reasonable skepticism of Ukraine due to its history of pervasive corruption. Two, President Trump has a long-held skepticism of U.S. foreign assistance, period, and believes that Europe should pay its fair share for mutual defense. Now, I'm going to pause there on that second one to point to, you know, to, to buttress it. That is a very valid point. Donald Trump may have withheld funds from any country until he got satisfaction that other countries were going to pay into this kitty as well. Why should we be the only ones to fund an Eastern European country like Ukraine and their defense against Russia? What about other European countries? That's right exactly in keeping with the tradition and the history of President Trump and his mindset and his uh, his belief system. He doesn't believe that American tax dollars should be given to foreign countries haphazardly. If we are going to commit, then others need to commit funds as well, and moreover, we need to ensure that money that we send is not going to be used in a corrupt manner, that our tax dollars will be going to help the greater good, if you will. Three, President Trump's concerns about Hunter Biden's role on Burisma's board are valid. The Ohio's, or Ohio, excuse me, I saw the word state after an O word, and I said Ohio State. (laughs) The Obama state department uh, noted concerns about Hunter Biden's relationship with Burisma in 2015 and in 2016. How about that? The Obama administration. Number five. There is indisputable evidence that senior Ukrainian government officials opposed President Trump's candidacy in the 2016 election and did so publicly. It has been publicly reported that a Democratic National Committee operative worked with Ukrainian officials, including the Ukrainian embassy, to dig up dirt on then-candidate Trump. Now, I'm going to pause there as well to let that sink in and to underscore the point. It's always the case, isn't it? That whatever Democrats accuse Republicans of doing, it is what they themselves are engaged in. They're accusing Donald Trump of trying to use leverage against a foreign country to get that foreign country to investigate a political rival. When the truth of the matter is that that in the 2016 election, It was indeed DNC operatives working with the same country, Ukraine, then under a corrupt government, by the way, not like the current reformed government under Zelensky, but that Ukraine would then help to support um, Hillary Clinton's campaign. And it's amazing how many times we see them accuse us of what they themselves are doing. Number six. 
The evidence does not establish that President Trump pressured Ukraine to investigate Burisma Holdings, Vice President Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, or Ukrainian influence in the 2016 election for the purpose of benefiting him in the 2020 election. And I'll pause there to say, yeah, what it, what it does show is that Ukraine was asked to look into this because the president wanted to ensure that our dollars were not going to corrupt enterprise, that there is a new sheriff in town, if you will, that when President Zelensky took over, reforms to the corrupt government uh, rated as the third most corrupt government on the planet, as, Pres- or as uh, Congressman Jordan talked about. But that has a nice ring to it, doesn't it, President Jordan? But um, that... Um, you know, as uh, we pointed out, that there is, you know, a legitimate concern for, or there was rather, a legitimate concern for President Trump to have about corruption in the previous government, but that the new sheriff in town, uh, Zelensky, is going to stop all of that. Uh, next, the evidence does not, or excuse me, the evidence does not support that President Trump withheld U.S. security assistance from uh, to Ukraine for the purpose of pressuring Ukraine to investigate Burisma Holdings, Vice President Biden, Hunter Biden, or Ukrainian influence in the 2016 election. The evidence does not support that President Trump orchestrated a shadow foreign policy apparatus for the purpose of pressuring Ukraine to investigate Burisma, the Vice President, Hunter Biden, or Ukrainian influence in the election. The ed- evidence does not support that President Trump covered up the substance of his telephone conversation with President Zelensky by restricting access to the call summary. And finally, President Trump's assertion of long-standing claims of executive privilege is a legitimate response to an unfair, abusive, and partisan process and does not constitute obstruction of a legitimate impeachment inquiry. So that is the summary. This is just a page and a half summary of what the 128-page report by the Republicans on those committees uh, that they filed last night and they released last night to the American people, rather, in advance of the Schiff report, otherwise known as the Schiff Show. President Trump is being targeted for purely political reasons, not for national security reasons, not for treasonous reasons, not for... Uh, uh, criminal reasons, not for bribery, not for corruption, not for expo- uh, 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 for uh, uh, exploitation, not for quid pro quo. The president is being targeted here and targeted for extinction, if you will, because of politics and nothing more. So really great report there by the uh, Republicans. If you want to respond to that, again, I've got time for you at 216-901-0945. But not a lot, because we are coming up here on our final break of the morning. So if you want to get in, get in now. 216-901-0945, And I suppose you can also message me if you prefer. Uh, I have not given out the uh, social medias today as I've been busy with guests. France Radio, F-R-A-N-T-Z Radio, all one word, no spaces, no underscores on Twitter, Facebook, and Parler. If you have something good to say, we'll say it for you here on AM 1420, The Answer. Fifty-four final countdown on indeed top of the hour mike gallagher comes your way then you're gonna have dennis prager then you're gonna have dr sebastian gorka jay secular live larry elder um last night on the larry elder program i talked about something i mentioned on um because i hosted for larry last night if you missed it 
I talked something about it. I mentioned uh, about something that I mentioned in passing in the first hour of this broadcast, and that was about the um, uh, Russian meddling in the election, the uh, 2016 election. I, I stand with Dennis Prager on that front. Dennis Prager pointed out that he didn't believe that Russian meddling amounted to a hill of beans. And I'm paraphrasing, of course, Dennis, who basically said, I heard him tell a caller that it's the biggest fraud, the biggest overblown story that he's seen in his life. And I agree, because I don't think there's any one American who saw one Russian ad on Facebook that was a pretending to be a, you know, an American ad that changed their vote on the basis of what they saw. I don't think that one American read something on WikiLeaks that was gleaned from John Podesta or the DNC's email server in 2016. They were solidly Hillary supporters until they read that and then suddenly said, I'm voting for Trump. Russian meddling was nothing. It really wasn't. It was nothing. It was, it was, it was, it was a complete farce in terms of its impact on this quote unquote, you know, trying to, to, um, destroy our, our democracy or in our, in our ability to conduct fair and democratic elections. But having said that, if you believe that Russians buying ads on Facebook Russians uh, 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 spreading propaganda intended to divide the American public and intended maybe to slant their opinion one way or another. If you believe that, then why is it any better for American technology companies to do it? 60 Minutes did a report on Sunday. Believe it or not, CBS and 60 Minutes did a report on Sunday. If you didn't see this, to wrap it up today, more than 300 Donald Trump political ads have been taken down by Google and its video platform, YouTube, mostly over the summer, according to the report. The CBS reporters were unable to get any specific reasons for the mass takedowns of Trump ads, which is a common problem with social media companies, often reluctant to explain precisely why a ban or other act of censorship of some sort has happened. We found very little transparency in the transparency report, concluded 60 Minutes. CBS investigated the removal of pro-Trump ads from YouTube. Uh, 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 pro, uh, excuse me, the removal of pro-Trump ads after YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki highlighted the company's decision to ban some of the president's ad during uh, an interview. Sixty Minutes correspondent Leslie Stahl asked Wojcicki, "Have you taken down any of President Trump's ads at all?" The CEO of YouTube responded, there are ads of President Trump that are not that were not approved to run on Google or YouTube. When pressed for an example, she said, well, they're available in our transparency report. In response to concerns raised after the 2016 election cycle, Google and YouTube, like Facebook, keep a searchable archive of political ads that have run on the site. 60 Minutes reviewed the archive to learn more about President Trump's problematic political ads. They found that over 300 of them had been taken down by Google and YouTube, for violating company policy, but the archive does not detail what policy was violated. Was it copyright violation? A lie? Extreme inaccuracy? Faulty grammar? Bad punctuation? It's unclear. The ads determined to be offending are not available to be screened. We found, says 60 Minutes, very little transparency in the transparency report. The GOP and the Trump campaign have condemned Google's recent rule changes surrounding political ads, calling them a blatant attempt to suppress voter information ahead of the 2020 election. So I bring that up just to kind of put a cap on that story that we're talking about, about the Russian and Ukrainian uh, meddling, if you will, in our elections. 
why are we so bent out of shape about you know Russian ads being put in uh, uh, on YouTube or on Google or Facebook in order to influence American voters? But we're not. We don't have any problem with American companies censoring and choosing what messages are allowed to go through and which ones are not based on their own political leanings. That's a major problem, and it's something that I think deserves uh, to be addressed. All right, that's going to do it for the uh, authority this morning. Thanks so much for being a part of the conversation. Thanks to Jim Jordan and to Peter Kersenow. Thanks to our crew, and thanks to you. We'll talk to you tomorrow Enjoy morning. Enjoy the great silence. Day. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 